It has been good to be with you. I have so enjoyed my time here. I know I say that every night, but it seems every day it gets just a little better. And uh, I'm so uh, grateful for the hospitality that has been offered to me. And, uh, um, you know, I, <laughs> I must confess, I'm eating way more than I should. Um, I have this perspective of heaven. I know that we often look to Revelation for an image of it, and we talk about streets of gold and singing non-ending. Now, for Brother George Adams, who is a good singer and loves singing, no doubt this vision of heaven is appealing. But for someone like me, who is somewhat musically challenged, that does not seem like heaven to me. And uh, when I look to Luke, the Gospel of Luke, I see in Luke so many times where Jesus just celebrates eating with people. So if I can have a vision of heaven along with my brother Adam's holding his vision of, Ad of heaven, I think heaven's big enough for both of us, amen? Then heaven's going to be one giant banquet where brother Adam's will be singing along with the heavenly choir as I enjoy my steak dinner. <laughs> I think that um, the church uh, needs to return to a very simple yet important way of living and being. I find that um, we seem to get bogged down with all kinds of things today. Uh, you just have to walk into a bookstore to see that there is so many books on how to save your life, how to change your life how to get a new life, how to acquire a vision for your life, how to discern what you need to do with your life after you got married, before you get married, during your marriage, and post your marriage. Uh, there is all kinds of information that seems to come at us, and in the church, I think we've had information overload, strategies that have not worked, and God invites us very simply tonight through the Scripture to come back to what matters most. I want to preach this evening um, a simple yet important message uh, taken from John's Gospel, chapter 15. I'm going to invite you uh, to stand with me. I'll read the scripture and pray thereafter, and you may be seated. John chapter 15, I'm reading from verse 1 through to 11. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will even be more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Let me repeat that. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this 
so that my joy <laughs> may be in you and that your joy may be complete. The word of the Lord. Father, this evening, I pray that you would grant me again the grace with which to share thoughts that are just ordinary. <laughs> the temptation to want to be good at what I do is constantly there. Knowing at my insecurity, saying that it is about my performance, but I have learned to trust in that which is far greater than me, the one who calls me to stand before people as I am and yet pronounce his great mercy and love. May Jesus be lifted up tonight. <laughs> may he be seen amongst us tonight. May, may there be joy in this room tonight because Christ is risen and he is risen indeed. May there be celebration amidst the challenge. May there be hope amidst the despair. May there be faith even where there is doubt. For we know that you are a living God. So now, would you animate these words by the power and presence of your Holy Spirit, that we may know that you have spoken. Thank you for your faithfulness to us over the last few days. Thank you for your faithfulness to us throughout our lives. Thank you for these brothers and sisters gathered here tonight who could have done so many other things, but have sought it fit to be in your house, to worship with your people, and to hear your word. I pray that you would be honored tonight in everything that is said and done. And then, Lord, this evening, I'm impressed to pray for that person who's sitting amongst us, that person who has a sense that you may be true and real and is still pondering in their heart whether this religion that we talk about can be transformative of their situation and their life. I pray that this evening the grace of God might meet such a person in such powerful, overwhelming ways that they would sense your son, Jesus Christ, is truly the hope for their lives. So, Father, I pray that tonight, if we would be audacious enough as your church to ask that you would save, <laughs> that you would sanctify, that you would strengthen, that you would empower, that you would heal, that you would set free, that you would bring hope to despair, that you would break chains of addiction, and that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would return joy to the hearts of those who have long lost, lost it. I pray, Father, that the joy of our Savior would indeed be our strength. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated. There's uh, two, two approaches to the Christian faith. The one I uh, consider to be uh, the imitation approach, or uh, because I want to be contemporary and appealing to millennials amongst us, the DIY Christianity approach, or I could break it even down a little further for those of you who are just starting your home and you can't yet afford that wonderfully expensive furniture and you go to Ikea, I call it Ikea Christianity. <laughs> this version of Christianity is about how we can put together our lives in our own capacities and strength. In this version of Christianity, the Bible becomes like a handbook. We treat it as if it's an Ikea manual, um, and we try to piece together what we see in it in such a way that we can construct for ourselves a life that we desire to have. I don't know if you are like me, but if there is something about your character that you know is a flaw, the older we get, the more we recognize what our flaws are, and all God's people says, amen. We all have them, by the way. <laughs> so, so don't sit here and be pretending all that. You, you, you have a flaw, okay? You have a character flaw. 
And there's some of us that when we become aware of this character flaw, we say to ourselves, you know, I, 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 I want to address it. So if you're an impatient person, you, you may go about buying some books on patience. Uh, I find that when you're an impatient person and you want to change, it seems that God allows more people to annoy me than, they, than he should. Uh, you know, so, 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 so when we talk about things like this, it's kind of fun to talk about patience and so on. But when there are some deep things in our hearts, deep things in our lives that are really problematic, real deep character flaws that surfaces and influences and breaks relationships and hurts people and depresses us. I often say this, that the greatest disappointment I experience is not when people disappoint me, but it's when I disappoint myself. I found that many Christians feel deeply disappointed because they long to live a life that they believe God has called them to, but they lack the capacity to do it. Can I get an amen? amen. There's nothing worse than having a vision of what you'd like to see in your life and not the ability to get there. So we try. We try. We try all kinds of ways of constructing for ourselves a spiritual life. We, we may put a lot of effort into it, and we may do well for a season. Uh, am I speaking to someone now? We're doing well for a season. And then that sister steps in, and she says something. And you just lose your mind. And before you can catch yourself, you're standing in front of the mirror and saying, I thought I was better than this. Now, you're mad at her, but you're more mad at yourself. You see, DIY Christianity is a Christianity that says, I have the capacity to fix myself. But the biblical perspective that I offer you tonight that's taken from John 15 is this, that indeed we do not have the ability in our own strength to become what God has called us to become. You know why we call Jesus a Savior? <laughs> because we can't save ourselves, yet many Christians... Once they get saved, they try to do the saving again. And we find ourselves trying to do in our own strength what only God can do by the power of His Holy Spirit. Now, I say to you, if you're sitting here tonight and you're hearing this word and you're saying, Stu, there's repetitive things in my life. There's, there's things that come up all the time. You know, I'll have good seasons, Stu, but then it just gets me. I know I'm preaching to someone here. And when it gets me, Stu, it throws me back into places I thought I had long lost left. And when it comes up and it boils out of my life, I am despondent, I'm despairing, and I say to God, God, why are you not fixing this problem for me? And perhaps this evening, there would be a message of hope for you from John chapter 15. I present to you an idea, a thought, that the invitation of John 15 is not to a fix-yourself Christianity, but it is an invitation into a communing relationship with God, such an intimate relationship that He gives you and me what we need to live this life. Indeed, He gives His very self, His very presence. To be Christian is to be in relationship with the living God who gives Himself to us so fully that He indwells our very life and enables us to live the life that we cannot do in our own strength. Now, I didn't scream that as I did a few nights ago because you're tiring me out. <laughs> but that's good truth. In fact, that deserved at least 20 amens from this right side. This is my concern side. Every night when I leave here, I pray for the right side in this church. <laughs> you over here, a little, little better. It gets a little, little better over there, but over there's the holy people. But this side... <laughs> 
You need the Holy Spirit. <laughs> I'm kidding, of course, only a little bit. I said to you a few nights ago that um, when you study the Scripture, it's always important to ask what it means before we ask, or what it meant before we ask what it means. The image of the vine is throughout the Old Testament. Israel is considered to be the vine in the Old Testament, often depicted as a vine transplanted from Egypt, a vine that was supposed to be a fertile vine, a vine through which fruit will be produced Another way of saying it is that Israel was supposed to be this example to the world, an example of fruitfulness that testified to their God, the one whom they belong to. In fact, the Scripture teaches us that even when enemies may trample the vineyard, that God tended to this vine in such a way that this vine would endure and survive. And when Jesus references the vine in the Bible, he is talking in John chapter 15 about something that those listening through Jewish ears would have understood. But instead of speaking of Israel as the vine, he now says, I am the vine. You know, Israel couldn't do it, I will do it. What Israel was supposed to do, I will come and fulfill it. And so Jesus says to, to, to the people listening to him in this very text that I have now become the very vine that if you attach yourself to me, you will truly live. You see, union with Jesus means participation in this new people, this new Israel, if you will, this new way of life. If you want to ask, if you want to differentiate Christianity from other religions, I would say it is in this, that the astounding invitation of the Christian faith is not to just doing good things, but it is to experiencing the very creator of God in a personal, profound way. It should blow our minds what Jesus is saying in John chapter 15. He's saying, come and abide in me. He's not saying, come and be humble like I be humble. Come and be peaceful like I be peaceful. Come and do what I want you to do. He says, come and abide. The word abide in other translations means dwell in. It's the most intimate, most, uh, most uh, 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 passionate word that Jesus can use to define the quality of the relationship that his followers could possibly be having with him. And yet so many Christians settle for far less. We settle for a, 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 a part of him, an idea of religion. You know, you, you, if, you're, if you're an imitating Christian, uh, I, I, I will describe it this way. Uh, my daughter, uh, Alana, uh, you know, I don't know if this is true in your family, but the youngest has me. She has me. She can do anything. She, I, I'll never let her hear this tape. She, she can absolutely do anything. And um, she's the one that can pick me up in a moment like that. You know, she just has my heart. I love all my kids. And for those of you going, oh, what about the other two? I love them all. I love them all. But this little one kind of has this little grip on my heart. But you know what she does all the time? She makes fun of me. I came on one from a conference, and they had posted a video clip of me preaching, and I got quite animated in this video clip. And when I walked through the door, there she was. She had her little makeshift podium for a pulpit, and she stood, and she reenacted my preaching. And at first, I was confused as to what was going on until she went down on her knees and she said exactly what I said. You know, this little kid whom I love so much makes fun of her dad, and yet, the imitation was somewhat flattering. You know, sometimes imitating others can be complimentary, but imitation doesn't speak about true transformation. 
She has not become me. <laughs> oh, I told you, this side needs the Holy Spirit. I you, th you, think, you think I'm not discerning. This side here, I I'm telling you. Speaking of prophetic word tonight. You know, imitation looks good. You know, uh, if you've ever gone to some places and you're traveling and you're going to tourist traps, you know, you know what tourist traps is, you know, the prices are inflated. <laughs> I mean, you can find pictures of the Mona Lisa in tourist traps. You can find things that look like the real thing, but they're not the real thing. You know, Jesus, Jesus had a, 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 a real serious problem with things that pretended to be what they were not. In fact, uh, the gospel account in Matthew, when he passes the fig tree, you know the story, and he puts his fingers through the fig tree, and he finds nothing on it. Have you ever thought about the image? Now, there's a lot going on there. You know, the fig tree represented of Israel. The fig tree represented of the temple. It, it, it means a lot of things, and I could preach on that. But the, the point that I think Jesus makes is the pretension that the fig tree actually had figs. It had leaves. So if you see leaves, you think figs. It looked like it had figs, but when Jesus put his hands through the leaves, he found nothing because the fig tree was faking it. <laughs> An imitation works much the same way. Just because I wear a nice suit doesn't mean I'm a nice person. Just because I say the right things doesn't mean I am righteous. And instead of me leaning into this from the negative side, I want to suggest to you that if you're a Christian that's sincere tonight and you're saying, Stu, you know, I want to have the kind of Christian life that I know God and I'm growing in Him and I'm loving Him, loving him and I'm seeing things grow up in me that I've never believed I could be. I'm starting to see transformation to character things in me. I'm becoming more patient with people. I'm becoming more loving with people. I'm becoming more generous with my money. All God's people says amen, especially this side. You know, I... I, I I, I, I find myself, I find myself longing, longing to live in the ways of God, and I'm finding joy in such ways. I want to say to you, there's good news in John 15. He says, come to me. Come to me. Come abide in me. Come, let me dwell in you. And so, I want to offer you some thoughts before I make a few points, and then we'll go from there. What does it really mean to abide in Him? Well, first, it doesn't begin with us. For many of us, uh, our Christian faith is always what we do first, but Christian faith is always a response to what God has already done in Christ. Let me slow that down and say it again because it's really important. If you don't want to be a DIY Christian, you must never try to do what God has already done for you. You must just respond in faith. Now, how do we respond in faith to what God has done? Here's what God has done. In, in the previous chapters, we read that, 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 that God has given, Jesus has given his disciples the gift of God's Holy Spirit. In John chapter 14, verse 16, hear this. He says, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him or knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. And then I love this part. I will not leave you as orphans. <laughs> I will not leave you as orphans. I will not leave you as orphans. And so, 
abiding in, 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 in Christ, dwelling in him, having this intimate relationship, doesn't begin first with my action. Stu, tell me right now what I need to do so that I can abide. It begins with a response of faith and thanksgiving. If you're a Christian here tonight, then God has breathed his very spirit into your life already. The only thing we need to do is respond in faith and say thank you. The measure to which you believe that can be transforming of your Christian life today. The measure to which you believe that the Holy Spirit actually abides in you. Now, here's what I find with most Christians. We don't tend to believe that we are really filled with God's Spirit. And the reason we don't tend to believe we are filled with God's Spirit, because there's many other spirits that's competing for primacy in our life. The spirit of pride, the spirit of jealousy, spirit of insecurity, there's many things that, that clouds our mind, and yet the invitation in the gospel tonight is for us to believe that when we said yes to Christ, that Christ has literally, according to the scripture, breathed his spirit into our very beings. We have been reborn by an act of God through the power of his Holy Spirit. When he breathed on his disciples in John chapter 20, he breathed his very life, his very spirit into them. And it is that very same spirit that we receive when we confess Jesus Christ as Lord. I'm here to, to announce to you that you have something in you far greater than you've believed, and that is the power of God's Holy Spirit waiting to grow up in you that which he can only do when you learn to trust in him. Amen. So, if God acts first through Christ giving his Holy Spirit to us, breathe on us, breath of God, says the song. Fill us with life anew. If we respond and we, we just, you're just going with me for a second now and you're saying, Stu, okay, I'll concede. Maybe the Holy Spirit does live in me. <laughs> that we respond to the gift of the Holy Spirit through becoming those who become attentive to God's Word. You know, uh, to, to respond to the gift that is given is not to be passive, but to believe, first of all, that the Spirit of God lives in us, but then also to allow the Word of God to start teaching, leading, and guiding us. The key to transformation begins with God and requires an obedient response. I can't tell you how many times... I've heard that churches are noting more and more, pastors are noting more and more, that people know less and less about the Bible. Now, I said this before, and I want to say it again. I love podcasts. Um, when I'm working out and I, and I hate what I'm doing, you know, I hate the elliptical or the bike that takes me nowhere. I hate everything about working. I'm not one of those guys who stands and looks in the mirror, you know, and pumps the iron. I'm just kind of, Lord Jesus, let me just survive the next 30 minutes. <laughs> and I turn on a podcast. I listen to a good Christian preacher. Man, some of them just, just, just bless the socks right off you, don't they? I mean, just phenomenal, just great. But I want to affirm again for you that, you know, when you begin to abide, 
Abide is this intimate relationship. You know, if I'm in an intimate relationship with someone and I never speak to them and never listen to them, <laughs> I question whether I have an intimate relationship with them. Are you with me? You know, now, now some of us say, you know, God speaks in prophetic ways and I heard it through that pastor and I heard it. Let me tell you what. God has spoken throughout time in one way we know for sure. He does consistently, time upon time, is through that Bible that has been passed down to us through century after century. Now, if you want to be intimate with Christ, if you want Him to abide in your life, then you need to pick up that Bible and not read it like a DIY manual, but read it instead as a conversation that God is having with you in the present. He is revealing through his word. There's a different way in which we read the Bible when we don't read it to, how do I now fix this part of my life? When we come to the Bible and we say, God, let your spirit speak so that I may see you. You know, when I preach, you know how I go about preaching? I ask, where's God in the text? Where's the hope in the text? Where's the revelation of Jesus in the text? I don't begin with, oh, what does Stu need? Because I know that I can go through the whole Bible and try to find what Stu needs. It's kind of like a kid who didn't study for a math exam, and then the night before, they're on their knees crying out to the Lord. They turn to the Bible and they open the book of Numbers and they say, please inspire me for that math test. You know, it doesn't make sense to approach Scripture in that way for the very same reason that we don't approach relationships that way. I don't go up to my wife and say, explain to me today why you're going to do what you're going to do so that I can respond and do what I need to do. I go up to my wife in love. I want to have a relationship with her. I want her to know me. I tell her stories about my life. I listen. Listen, I've come to realize that, you know, one of the greatest love languages, young men trying to woo young women, listen very carefully, is shut your mouth <laughs> and listen. One of the barriers to intimacy is the inability to listen. And one of the barriers to growing in Christ and abiding in Him is when our prayer time, our Bible time, is all about what we want. We want of God. We want to say to Him, I believe wholeheartedly that God speaks. And if you want an intimate relationship with Him, the way you approach the Bible can be transformative to your spiritual life. If you start and you say, I want to hear what God has to say. I want His Word to breathe life into me. There's something transformative. Listen, if you're sitting here and you say, Stu, I struggle with reading the Bible. I know many people do. I used to myself. Can I get an amen if you want to be honest here? But you know what invigorates me is when I approach the Scripture and I believe that there I encounter the very living God and the voice of God. There's something different about when I read the Bible that way. And so we respond by making the Bible central to our life. God has given us His Spirit. We are rooted in His Word. And we start to see things grow up in us and through us that we never thought was possible. You know, I, I can't help but testify to that. Last night after I preached, I went home and I examined just kind of mentally what I said. And I said, Stu, you were too self-serving in that message. You were the hero in all your stories. <laughs> you need to let people know you're not the hero all the time. And I do apologize if I came across as the hero. <laughs> that was not the point of why I told you the stories. But, but at the same time, there are times where I want to say to you, who I was is not the same person I am today. And it is not on account of the fact that I just simply pushed through and did it and did it and did it. No, I began to have faith that the one who has called me by my name has given me the resources by which to become what he wants me to be. 
You see, the Nazarene church believes in this crazy concept that many people struggle with, including me for many years, this idea of sanctification. We think it means perfection. We think that we're supposed to be perfect. But the word sanctification, at least perfection as it's mentioned in Matthew's gospel, is the word that really kind of points towards purpose. It is as if God is saying, you are your perfect self when you learn (laughs) to live into the purpose that I've created you for. And that purpose is that we would be so rooted in Christ that his very character begins to be birthed in each and every one of us. See, what the world needs... What the world needs are those who are living and breathing and knowing this Jesus so intimately. You see, what changes Christianity from this idea that we, 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 we must work to get it is when we learn to trust first and we learn to listen. Anybody can do that. Any of us can begin to listen well. You know, so let me be practical and then I'm going to get to the good stuff because some of you look like you're falling asleep. You know... Um, so with Bible study, I want, to, I want to reiterate some things perhaps that some of you may have neglected. You may say, Stu, you know, I, I listen to podcasts. That's how I get my spiritual food. I hear more and more people saying, oh, that pastor didn't bring the word tonight. I wasn't, I wasn't fed. I want to say to you that diet is dangerous. I want to encourage you, not out of guilt, but out of a sincere plea, because I believe so much more (laughs) that the simplicity of the gift of God's Word, learned together in conversation with others, with gifted pastors who have learned to study and, and got some help to be able to help us, I believe that surrounding yourself with Christians who are mature in faith, I believe uh, being with people who have fallen in love with the God who speaks through His Word is an essential way in which you will grow. Now, I know you came to revival because for many of us, this is a shot in the arm, and that's good. In fact, I feel I've got a, like an intravenous this week, you know, I'm, I'm feeling super excited. But this is what I know, what sustains me beyond this week is that intimate relationship with God. And I don't have to come to a revival for that. <laughs> I can wake up in the morning and, and begin with that, you know. I can learn to make this again the passion of my life to hear God speak. When I was a young boy, people used to say to me all the time, I used to hear this in the church, read your Bible more, and I just feel guilty. You know, like, you know what I mean? Like just find your, your, your closet and pray. And I'm like, I don't have a closet, and you, you're making me feel guilty, and I don't feel like I want to read this. I wish that when I was a boy, someone explained to me and sat down with me and read it with me and, and said, what, what is God saying to you? How is he speaking? Stu, do you know that when you pay attention and you listen and you become quiet and silent, that God can speak to you? I think one of the hurdles that we have to this abiding and listening to the Word is that our lives are too full, our lives are too busy, our lives are too noisy. You know, when the the Scripture says, be still and know, it's inviting us to know something. (laughs) It's not just inviting us to be still. It's to be still and know who God is. And so, when we start to live this way, rooted in the Word, John's Gospel teaches us fruit starts to show up. Fruit need a place to grow. And sometimes they need time. 
Healthy fruit needs a bunch of different things, as we all know. But this I know for sure, that we don't often see the fruit overnight. And so what God may do in your life may take some time, but He's doing it if you are responding in faith. I want to list some of the things that comes to us through the Scripture that shows us when we abide. One of the things that you may not catch in the text, but I think is so important, is we begin to pray with confidence. I want you to hear about what verse 7 says. It says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask, what? Whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. You know why we can pray with confidence when we're abiding in Christ? It's because our prayers become the prayers that he taught us to pray. <laughs> Did you hear that? We learn to pray very different prayers when we are listening to God. You want to know why some of our prayers are not answered? Because we're not listening to God. <laughs> you know, he's not, he's not like a giant vending machine. You know that, right? So I put in my prayer pennies and I expect something to pop out at the bottom. He's a living God. He's a living God that says, when you learn to abide and when you learn to listen to me, you're praying. You're praying different kind of prayers. You're praying, my Father who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You're praying, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You're praying, give me my daily bread, not my daily many things. And when we begin to, to abide in him, it changes how we pray. It actually results in answered prayers because we're praying in His will. We are praying according to the will of Jesus Christ. And His will for our lives is perfect. You know, people have long said to me, I prayed about something. I prayed, but now listen, I, I, prayer is a complex thing, so don't let me just boil it down to this. But I'm just making an illustration. I think sometimes we're frustrated at unanswered prayers because the prayers we're praying are not the prayers we should be praying. Just because you want it doesn't mean God wants to give it to you. Just because you ask for it doesn't mean this is in His will for you. And one of the most important things that we forsake is the fact that we live in relationship with the living God who leads and guides and abides with us. And as we begin to abide in Him, whatever we pray for, we pray for according to His will. Then we pray confident prayers, different prayers. I think another thing that happens is we become much more assured as Christians. When I was studying, I was doing my, my, my graduate studies, um, uh, you know, uh, one guy got up and talked about the insecurity that we Nazarenes consistently feel. When I was a boy, I was at the altar about 50 times when we had revival services. Now, that's good, because if you knew me, I needed about 60 times at the altar. And the point he was making was, you know, you're saying, you know, we Nazarenes claim to believe that Jesus saved us and, and he, is, he is Lord and He's in control, and yet we live such insecure lives. You know, you know what I found out about insecurity? Insecurity makes you a very dangerous person. When you're insecure, everybody can become a threat. When insecure, little things become big things real quick. When you're an insecure Christian, you're a dangerous Christian. I'm not speaking, I'm not preaching out of, out of my own personal experience. And here's what happens when you start to have an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. Here's what happens. We begin to have an assurance that comes from knowing that we are loved by God. Did you read the text? The text says all of this communion, all of this abiding is because God loves us. And we know this love only in intimate relationship with Him. When my children know that they are deeply loved by their dad, they are better children in other areas of their life. 
Children who do not know that they are loved and are insecure children are more tempted to give in to the temptations around them. But those that know how deeply they are loved, when they are assured of such love, they are healthier children. I think it's the same in our relationship with God. And some of us long for such deep assurance. And the kind of relationship we've had has been marked by insecurity. But God's invitation to abide in Him helps us to live free from insecurity and uncertainty and, and that we are right with God and to believe in faith and through the power of His Holy Spirit at work within our lives, we can wake up each day and, says, and say, it is well. It is well. <laughs> it is well. Don't you long to wake up that way? Instead of the other way, oh, God, help me today. <laughs> Don't you long for that kind of assurance that runs deep? So, you know, the, the kind of assurance that doesn't say life won't go wrong and things won't be difficult. I don't want to... I don't want to suggest to you that you start to abide and all of a sudden you get a green card throughout life with no problems. But such abiding holds. It holds us up. You want to know why people can go through some of the most miserable things as Christians and come through them praising God? It's because they have learned that He is with them and they know Him. Not only do we get this gift of assurance, but the Scripture says we know His joy. <laughs> Have you ever noticed how unhappy Christians are? <laughs> I love Jesus, and can't you see the joy of God just oozing out of me? You know, we ought to be some of the most joyous people. And yet the image of the church in the West in particular is one of anger. The world knows us for everything we stand against. And yet Jesus says to us, when we abide in Him, there is something that happens to our very countenance. We share in the very same joy that Jesus shares in with the Father. I want to tell you a story. None of our kids own phones yet. It is a struggle. The struggle is real in my home. A few years ago, a friend of mine said to me, I have this iPod. It's new. Um, I would like to give it to Luke. I said, talk to his mom, and we decided if he gets an iPod, then we need two more. I can hear the parents amongst us. So we agreed we would let him get the iPod, and she gave me the iPod. I, I gave her some money for it because I couldn't just take it. Sometimes I have a problem receiving things. Are you like me? That's just pride, you know? That's just pride. So we went to a, a Calgary um, Stampeders football game, and, and Luke and I were sitting in the stands, and uh, I, I had it, the, 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 the new iPod in the box in my pocket. And I was waiting for the right time. 
Luke is a huge Stampedes fan. <laughs> His reasoning is, I live in Calgary, who else will I cheer for? And I don't know why there are other fans here cheering for other teams. You know, my boy just sees life very simply. So he's sitting next to me, and it gets to the end uh, of what do they have in, 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 in football again? Uh, is it halftime? I don't know. I do apologize for serious football fans. It was a break, okay, a break. I uh, snuck the little box out of my pocket, and I just held it in my hand like this. And for the longest time, Luke's just watching the game and oh, watching, watch, looking out, not paying attention, and then his eye catches that I'm holding something, and I, I will never forget, I'll never forget this, I'll never forget the look in his eye, because I started to cry at a stupid iPod. I, I held it this way, and he looked, and he looked again, and then he looked up to me, and he said, Dad. And the tears rolled out of his eyes, and I started crying, and I thought, this is really dumb. I hope nobody else is looking at us right now. But as I looked into his eyes, the sheer joy that my son had at receiving something that he so desperately wanted was such a powerful image that I tell it to you today because it stuck so deeply within me. You know, when, when we read what Jesus is saying, he's saying this, that the very same joy that he shares with the Father and the Father shares with him is the joy he invites us to have. That's a joy that is different than happiness because happiness only lasts for a season. It's only contingent upon when things go right, but the joy that comes from Jesus is the joy that says, in my Father I know I abide and I know Him and He knows me. In my relationship with Him, I have security and I have assurance. I know who I am in Him. That joy is everlasting joy. Some of us need to smile more, just quite frankly. We're doing a bad job at advertising this Jesus we know. <laughs> That's probably one of the truest things I said tonight. Uh, some of us have pain, physical pain. It's hard to smile. Some of us have mental anguish. There are people in my congregation who struggle with mental illness. It's hard for them to find joy. I read a very helpful article once about joy. It says uh, that in the church, when we worship and when we come together, we ought to celebrate in such a joyous way that those who are unable in their seasons of life to access such joy can at least observe it. <laughs> For amongst us tonight, I am not ignorant, there are some of us who would find it very hard to believe that joy is possible. And yet, I invite you tonight to come and abide. To come and abide. To come and know the one who takes our mourning and turns it into joy. The one who invites us to come and know him in a profound yet simple way. Are you not tired of trying and failing? Are you not tired of proclaiming something that you'd like to be but you just don't access? The invitation tonight is to come. 
to come and to listen and to hear the one who speaks words of affirmation over you, who says, this is my daughter, this is my son, I love you, and in you I find great joy. <laughs> Let me come down here because some of you need to hear that. Now just pretend I'm Jesus, so you have to kind of change the look, right? I, I need to have hair. Some of you are like, oh, he's blaspheming. No, I'm not blaspheming. I think Jesus laughs at us sometimes. Some of us are just funny people, funny looking, some of us. But do you believe that? That when he looks at you, he says, my dear sister, you are my daughter whom I love and died for. The love I have for you, you cannot even begin to understand how deep it runs. When you experience the grace of God in your life in such measure, you will not be the same person. I'm not just speaking about emotions now, folks, because some of you cerebral people are going, yeah, don't give me that sappy nonsense. There is no way you cannot be overwhelmed when you allow the Holy Spirit to make God known to you. You know what, you know what the Apostle Paul says? It is His Spirit that testifies with my spirit that I am His. And when we abide, it is that spirit who affirms that it is indeed true. So tonight, as I close, and all God's people said, Amen. amen. <laughs> I don't like that you said it with so much vigor. I thought we were having a good time. <laughs> I'm having too much fun here, you know. But uh, I wonder tonight if, if we want to respond with that joy. <laughs> Um, as, as our brother comes and leads us, if you're going to sing, sing with joy tonight. Uh, if, if you want to come and pray, come and pray, and we will pray with you. If you want to stay in your seat, and I'll say this to those of you who perhaps you, don't, you can't stand for long periods of time. No one's going to think you're less spiritual if you sit down. But all I want to invite you to do is to respond as God is leading you tonight. Can you do that tonight? And as our brother leads us, and as he sensitively does so and senses what is happening, I want to invite you to be obedient to the Lord. Come now and drink from the living water. Come now and eat from the bread of life. Come now to the fountain of joy. <laughs> Come now to the one who's died in your place and has made you his own. Come now and hear again the words of love that he speaks over you. You are my child whom I love. In you I delight. Have you longed to hear that again? Have you longed to hear the joy that God defines in who you are as His creation? Nothing about you is a mistake. <laughs> Do you believe that? Nothing about you is a mistake. He loves you so deeply. Father God, this evening, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the power of your spirit to enable us to in faith enter into a living relationship with you you have not simply said, I've come to save you, but I've come to save you so that you would know me and that I would know you. Some of us, Father, have lived a Christian life in, in second gear for most of our life. <laughs> We've been longing for it to be more than it is. 
And we've been questioning, perhaps, even at this revival services, whether there is more to this life than we have experienced. Some of us have struggled for years and years and years with addictive patterns and behaviors, with things that have popped up and reminded us that we're not as good as we thought we were. And yet tonight here, the gracious invitation is, come to the one who is able to do immeasurably more, immeasurably more than you have believed, immeasurably more than you can even ask for tonight. The one who says, when you come to know me, I will impart in you and give to you that which you do not have in your own strength. The one who is able to transform lives and create within us an incredible joy that the world cannot take from us. The one who is known as Jesus. The Son of the living God. I thank you, Lord, for the wonderful presence of your Spirit amongst your people. Tonight, there is no mistake in my own heart that that when we just listen, when we just hear, when we lean in, when we become quiet, it's sometimes in the gentle whisper of your spirit that we hear the words we need to hear. And so I pray that you would give us the courage to listen well. To listen well. In Jesus' name, amen.